Which of these topics has not been covered on PremierChristianity.com? UFOs, near-death experiences, Doctor Who, Christ's return, the faith of celebrities, and Andrew Tate. Trick question. We don't shy away from any topic. We cover faith as it affects us in daily life and give you the bigger picture. PremierChristianity.com Special podcast subscription offer at PremierChristianity.com slash podcast. Survivor Watford has suspended Mike Pilavachi with immediate effect. Popular pastor Mike Pilavachi has announced he's stepping down from his role as associate pastor of Soul Survivor Watford. Soul Survivor Watford has announced it is suspending two further members of staff in the ongoing investigation. Mike Pilavachi has been found to have used his spiritual authority to engage in quotes, inappropriate relationships, the physical wrestling of youth, and massaging of young male interns. These were the headlines during a five-month safeguarding investigation into the Vicar of a Church in Watford. Mike Pilavachi, who founded the enormously popular Christian youth festival, Soul Survivor, stood accused of abusing his position during four decades of ministry. When the Church of England's national safeguarding team substantiated the allegations... Pilavachi joined the ranks of Christian leaders, mired in scandal. Mark Driscoll, Ravi Zacharias, Jean Vanier, John Smythe, Brian Houston, the list goes on. The specific circumstances in each case are different. But the truth is, from Catholicism to Pentecostalism, few parts of the church have remained unscathed over the years. Yet for most people, Mike Pilavachi was a visionary leader, a funny and brilliant youth worker, one of the church's success stories. So how could he now be facing accusations of serious harm? Wasn't this someone who was close to God, who built a large and thriving ministry that helped thousands come to know Jesus? And if Mike was guilty of wrongdoing, how could his behaviour have gone under the radar for 40 years? Those were some of the questions I asked myself when we first began investigating this story. Here in the belly of the beast We've been making dirty deals We've been living underneath The bright lights of Babylon Are we all toxic? Are we a kingdom or a wasteland? Are we the bomb of Gilead? Or a poison to the world? I'm Megan Cornwell and you're listening to Soul Survivors by Premier Christianity Magazine. Over the course of this series, we will explore what happened at Soul Survivor Watford, highlighting the lessons for the wider church, as we share the stories of those who dared to step out and say, no more, in the name of Jesus. We need to step back and reset and say sorry and properly repent. And it's got to be, we were and are part of the problem. Got to get our house in order and we've got to do it soon. Otherwise, this is all going to crumble. Some of these stories won't be easy to listen to, but understanding where our church is going wrong might just help us get one step closer to the kingdom of God. Episode 1, The Prophet Before you can fully understand what happened at Soul Survivor Watford, I need to show you how it happened. And for that, we've got to look at the nature of Mike's influence in the church. So in many ways... 
this story starts in an unconventional place, the middle, on a campsite at Soul Survivor Festival itself. It's a huge encouragement to me to be here. I love the worship, the music. It's my tradition. It's, it's how I grew up as a Christian. That's Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury and head of the Global Anglican Communion. He visited Soul Survivor in the summer of 2014 to address the thousands of young people who had camped out for five days of fun, worship and Bible teaching. It's that sense of cutting-edge church. Really exciting. It's a chance to get taught and to come face-to-face in a fresh way with Jesus. A year before the Archbishop's visit, Mike had been ordained a priest in the Church of England. These two events would symbolise a rubber stamp of approval from the Anglican hierarchy on his ministry, which by then was over two decades old. Fast forward seven years, and the now Reverend Canon Mike Pilavachi would receive a prestigious award from Welby for his contribution to evangelism and witness, and that same year an MBE for services to young people. My name is Dr John Maiden. I'm a senior lecturer in religious studies at the Open University. Dr Maiden is an expert in global evangelical and charismatic movements, and he was also at Soul Survivor Church in the early 2000s. From the point of view of the contemporary history of evangelicalism in the United Kingdom, I can't think of a figure who shaped the church more in the last 30 years, at least for generation X, Y and Z, than Mike Pilavachi. The festivals have attracted vast numbers. You've got the books, you've got the music through which the experience, theology and values of Soul Survivor have shaped so many individuals and churches. I'd say that Mike Pilavachi has done more than anyone in the UK since John Wimber to shape charismatic patterns of worship, teaching and ministry. That's quite the claim, isn't it? But I reckon it's pretty accurate. The American evangelist and pastor is known for kick-starting charismatic renewal in the 80s in the Church of England, and a young Mike was hugely influenced by Wimber's theology and practice. In a later episode, I'll tell you more about that. But right now, let's focus on how others in the church perceived him. Mike, we owe you so much. I used to be the vicar of a church um, in London, and we had quite a lot of clergy there because we did a lot of church planting. We had about 25 clergy. And one, among one of our meetings, we said, what is the main reason, humanly speaking, that all of you are ordained and on the staff here? And practically every person in the room said the main reason is Soul Survivor. The influence of Mike and Soul Survivor over all these years. In case you didn't recognise that voice, it's Nicky Gumbel, the pioneer of the Alpha Course. Before he retired... Reverend Gumbel was responsible for the Church of England's flagship evangelical church, HTB, or Holy Trinity Brompton as it's more formally known. As you can hear, like Archbishop Justin, he was a huge fan of Mike's ministry, and he attributed much of HTB's success to his influence. But Mike wasn't just endorsed by the most senior clerics in the church. He was actively supported by those growing Christian youth organisations of their own. People like Roy Crown and Andy Hawthorne, who were joining forces with Soul Survivor to spread the gospel across the UK. Here's Crown talking to evangelist Jay John about his relationship with Mike. And because I was in youth ministry, there was a Greek guy called Mike Pilavachi running an amazing event called Soul Survivor. 
that was just fantastic and had a phenomenal impact than a guy in Manchester called Andy Hawthorne who ran the Message Trust. So we used to meet once a term because we were the kind of leading youth ministries at the time. And I said, let's do some things together. And we did some citywide things with communicating the gospel and acts of kindness. Crown led Youth for Christ for 12 years and from the late 90s saw some incredible moves of God. Some of the events he's referring to were evangelistic partnerships between them, Soul Survivor and the Message Trust, another thriving evangelical youth ministry. As Mike's influence and reputation grew through the 90s and beyond, he started receiving invitations and opportunities further afield. Here's Hillsong founder Brian Houston introducing him at their annual conference. Well, Mike Filibacci, first time at Hillsong Conference, is uh, basically the, the man behind Soul Survivor in the UK. He, uh, doing an awesome work over there, has a church in Watford in England, reaching young people in particular. And we're really thrilled to have you here, Mike. Come on, give him a huge hand as he comes to share the word of God with us tonight. So how did a Northwest London boy who grew up in an atheist family, come to be one of the most respected and celebrated Christian leaders in Britain? There are many answers to that question, but the simple explanation is that Mike's reputation and platform developed over years, not overnight. And it started, very simply, with a remarkable ability to connect and communicate with teenagers. And I was tired and I came home and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go straight to bed. Um, I'm not going to go into the kitchen. I'm not going to eat anything because I've had sufficient food for the day thereof and uh, and also I want to I like to look after my figure and uh, <laughs> and uh, so I thought no I'm not gonna I'm just gonna go to bed and I thought you know what before I go to bed I'll just go into the kitchen and I'll pour myself a glass of water and I'll have a glass of water and then I'll go to bed as I was drinking the water I suddenly wondered I thought I wonder how the double chocolate cake is doing defrosting in the fridge. (laughs) He told stories very, very well. He was able to package theology in a way that young people could really understand and relate to. And the most important thing about Mike Pilavarchi is for many young people, he was relatable. He was authentic. He was funny. He would talk about his own weaknesses, his own brokenness, as he put it. That's Dr. Maiden again. He's talking about the qualities that made Mike such a brilliant speaker. Gifts that shone particularly brightly when he was on stage at Soul Survivor Festival. Mike had honed those skills first as a youth worker and then leading youth ministry and another Christian event, New Wine. In 1989... New Wine was a brand new and exciting Anglican initiative started by Bishop David Pitches and his wife Mary. It was a way of bringing together like-minded Christians passionate about seeing revival in the Church of England. At that time, Pitches was Mike's mentor and the vicar of St Andrew's Chorley Wood, where Mike was pastoring the youth. As David's protégé, he was the natural choice to minister to the teenagers camping at the Bath and West showground. Addressing the young people gathered there each year would become the perfect training ground for a 31-year-old Mike Pilavachi, who would go on to found his own youth festival four years later. 
This is Mike explaining to J. John his vision for Soul Survivor. I just had this dream uh, of doing something that was a bit like New Wine, a little bit like Greenbelt, a bit like Spring Harvest, but just for young people, where we would take Jesus seriously, but not take ourselves seriously, where non-Christians could come and feel at home, but where we would proclaim the gospel and we would train young people. And I went to David and I thought, I'm sharing with him the vision. He will say no, and then at least I've done it. I told him my dream. He listened, and I remember he said, it sounds ridiculous to me. And then he paused and he said, but it sounds like it might be God. Let's have a go. To begin with, before he took on Soul Survivor full-time, Mike split his energy across both events. And after New Wine 94, many of the young people joined him and others from Youth for Christ for outreach and evangelism in Watford. This Hertfordshire town was where Mike was starting a church. Soul Survivor Watford was in its embryonic form back then, holding meetings and events in front rooms and a local school. Jonathan, who was 15 at the time, remembers those early days. After the week at New Wine, all the teenagers would then go on to Soul Survivor Watford. And we basically all camped on church floors around Watford. You know, the guys were all in one place, Colin Brooks, you know, all these, all these notable figures from the early days were all there. I think Tim Hughes' wife, Rachel, was on that. And then we did Mission with Soul Survivor Watford in Watford itself. So we were going and, and doing all sorts of different things and going to do street evangelism and all sorts of things. So, and Roy Cram was there. Uh, Mike was around a lot. Matt was around a bit. And, and it was an interesting time because the new Wine 94 was quite a, a moment, actually, because he had the cutting edge band, which later became Delirious, leading worship. You had people like Tim Hughes, it was also the time when the Toronto Blessing was just starting to break out. So that tent at Shepton Mallet was a real real nexus of what then became a lot of what the church is today in terms of the worship scene. The Toronto Blessing that Jonathan mentions here was a significant move of God that took place at a vineyard church near Toronto Airport in January 1994. And Jonathan's right. For evangelical Christians, it was a watershed moment. Well-known leaders at the time flew to Canada to catch the fire of a revival and bring it back to their home churches. At the same time, evangelical Christians were beginning to embrace more contemporary styles of worship and adopt Holy Spirit ministry times during their services. Speaking in tongues, exercising the gifts of prophecy and praying for miraculous healing were all becoming more commonplace. I remember four or five guys just getting around me and laying their hands on my foot, which I'm sure was not a great experience. And they simply prayed that God would heal it. And literally within half an hour, the swelling had gone down and the pain had gone. And I was in excruciating pain. It was awful. And for me, it was a, almost this immediate experience of, of a healing event. I felt the Holy Spirit, the heat on my foot and you know the swelling went, the pain went. Amazing. And it, that was the everyday expectation, I think, of being around those kinds of people in that kind of environment, you know, as a young guy. And that left a real impression on me. You know, I remember I'm 15 years old and just wanting to be around things that God was doing. The, the feeling of it was like, wow, we're at the epicenter of something huge here, even in those very early days. And I was hooked. That feeling of being somewhere important, somewhere holy even, would resonate with hundreds of young people like Jonathan who every year would converge on Soul Survivor festivals to meet with God. 
1,896 attended that first event in 1993. And stewarding this new way of ministering in the spirit was the avuncular Mike Pilavachi, a colourful and welcoming presence on the stage. Welcome here. And we love what you do, and what you do is you reveal Jesus to us. You lead us to Jesus. You show us who Jesus is. And Holy Spirit, we ask that in the next four and a half days, you would do your supreme job, your amazing job, of showing us more of Jesus as Saviour and as King. Something that Mike was really very, very good at was bringing a semblance of order and understanding to what was going on. At least you felt as if he was a safe pair of hands. I feel that God is doing this, or I feel that God is saying that um, some of you will be feeling like this, come forward and receive prayer. That was going on all the time. And it was a very freeing and liberating time. I, I began to worship God with all of my being, and I would really feel this energy through the worship and through the ministry time that was, for me, life-changing. Becky also attended some of the earliest New Wine and Soul Survivor events. She was a little bit older than Jonathan at the time, 18 to be exact. And she too found those meetings in the main tent to be transformational. There were physical manifestations and things were so new to me. And I remember feeling quite unsettled, but also just knowing that this was God. And my instinct, I said out loud, I said, leave me alone. You can do whatever you want with everybody else, but God, leave me alone. I don't want to have to go back and change my life. Because I, there was this sense that this is real, this is God. And if, you, if I experience God now, then my whole life will be turned upside down. And as I, as I said those things, I realized, gosh, this is, my heart is really hard. And I started to sob. And then I just felt this heavy presence of God fall on me like I'd never, ever experienced before. And um, yeah, that was a real turning point for me in my faith in God. Um, I knew I wasn't making it up or getting caught up in hysteria. I knew that this was God meeting with me. For Jonas, who had come over to England from Sweden in 1998, Soul Survivor simply became somewhere he could call his spiritual home. I experienced something at the festival that I hadn't experienced before. Like it was cool, but also there was a closeness, intimacy with God. It seemed to be a kind of less hysterical, kind of charismatic movement. I appreciated that, but there was just lots of going on. And I thought this was just so cool. And I guess your sense is that you want to be part of that, you know, soul survivor, this cool young movement that just seemed to tick the boxes. As teenagers took their experiences back to their local churches and shared their stories of healings, salvation and the goodness of God, more and more Christians wanted to see it for themselves. That first festival in 93, with just under 2,000 young people, would soon grow to 25,000 across two weeks, more than a decade later. Would you like to take a seat for just a few moments? Well, we're really, really excited about this week. So you would generally arrive with your youth group on day one um, and it would always be so exciting. Like There'd be such a rush to get your tents up and get to that first main meeting. That's Katie. She was 12 when she started going to the festivals in 2006 and it soon became the highlight of her year. 
really was so central to my teenage years. Some of my very best friends, my long-term relationships were made at Soul Survivor. So it it had a huge impact. Like Becky, Katie found the main meetings to be where much of the action took place. At first, she was a little taken aback by what she saw. They'd be screaming, wailing, crying, falling on the floor. Some people had a very still experience, but it would be an opportunity for people to go a bit nuts. <laughs> um, and some of that was genuine and some of it wasn't. It's inevitable in a, in a room full of people where emotions are high. And generally, yeah, on the last night, everyone would dress up in fancy dress and Mike would sing a song terribly and it would all be hilarious. And then you'd go home absolutely exhausted on, on day six. So it was quite an intense week, but a, a lot of fun. To begin with, Katie had never heard of Mike Plavacci, but that soon changed. When I first went to the festivals, I didn't really know anything about it. And we were sitting, waiting for the first main meeting. And there was a girl who'd been to the festival lots of times before. And she was a wee bit younger, but she had drawn a picture. And I was confused. And she was like, oh, that's Mike. You wait till you see him. And then this whole conversation was happening about Mike. And I thought, oh, my goodness, who is this guy? And it seemed like there was so much excitement to see him. And it was quite bizarre it almost felt like he was the main event and he was he was extremely gregarious and I do think he was good at pointing to Jesus and making sure that the focus was on God you needed his sense of humor his ability to diffuse the situation but yeah he seemed the the main event and everyone else on stage everyone else who would maybe join him never had the same presence or authority In addition to Mike's gifts of communication and his charisma and comedy, much of his authority came from a capacity to hear from God. He had an incredible ability to tune into what God was saying, and he often had prophetic words he would share with the crowd. So Mike, sometimes he just hears a voice memo from God saying who he needs to pray for that evening. And on that particular evening... God had put people with like a history of mental health on Mike's heart. Claire was 16 when she went to Soul Survivor for the first time. She wasn't a Christian then, and she arrived processing a lot of pain. And I went to the front and I remember being an absolute wreck. Like I was crying my eyes out. I was struggling to breathe. And I just remember hearing this voice in my head so, so clearly and so calmly. And I am convinced that That was God, and there's no other explanation for it. Mike's message spoke directly into the challenges she was facing at the time. And a year later, when she returned to Soul Survivor, she prayed a prayer of repentance and became a Christian. It was one of those where I was getting towards the end of the week. I could feel something inside me talking to be like, yes, go and do it. But I just, it took me ages to build up the confidence. And then on the final night, I was like, no, this is it. I can't put it off any longer. This is what I want to do and I need to stand up and do it. And I went down to the front with my best friend, Caitlin. I've spoken to a number of people in the last few months who were at the very early Soul Survivor festivals and who have said they were literally picked out from a crowd of people. That's Dr Maiden. And Mike would give them um, a word of knowledge. And for some of those people, that was a a really profound moment. 
in their lives. You know, it's gone on to shape aspects of their ministry. Charismatics often do believe that particular figures are anointed with particular gifts or with particular callings to do a particular job. And with that becomes power, if you like, spiritual power. But I'd actually say that one of the reasons Mike Pilavachi was so popular was because he didn't come across as an authority figure. He had this self-depreciating humour that for so many people was really attractive and it meant that they trusted him. You know, he would talk about his own brokenness. He would appear humble. So for many people, actually, they would have probably thought of him as an authentic figure rather than an authority figure. But make no mistake, he had immense authority. We're going to explore Mike's authority and how he used it in much more detail in the coming episodes. But for now, let's focus on those teenagers. Young people like Jonathan, Katie, Becky and Jonas, who were soaking up the atmosphere at Soul Survivor, having the time of their lives and being changed in ways only God could do. You can't remove this worship scene that's growing, this prophetic thing that's building, this feeling that the Holy Spirit is being poured out on the nation. And this guy on stage who is speaking in those terms and shaping that and you want to be significant for God, your access point to being significant is to be around the people that are doing it, right? So Mike is like this prophetic guy who seems to just hear from God all the time. He's twice my age at this point. So you're looking up to this father figure, I suppose, who's growing this movement that is going somewhere. And so you want to be around that. I would often think I can't, picture Soul Survivor really going on once he retires. I mean, he was an older man. And so you think like if he decides to finish, like Soul Survivor will never be the same. And I probably wouldn't be interested in going because the whole vibe would completely change. He had prophetic words. He seemed humble. He was at least verbally downplaying the celebrity culture of Christianity. He said all the right things. And so you you want to be close to that. And I think it's partly, you know, as a as a young person, you know, you're you're desperate. You know, there's a radicalness often in the youth, right? And you know, I I can certainly remember feeling, you know, that desperateness of being close to God. And he was someone who seemed to be close to God, and therefore, you know, as a twenty year old, it's hard not to put someone like that on a pedestal. Soul Survivor festivals drew to a close in the summer of 2019. That year. The Christian community celebrated 30 years of a distinguished ministry. Thanks to Mike's faithfulness and vision, thousands of teenagers had become Christians and taken their newfound fire for God into churches up and down the country. And long after the worship music had faded, the idea of being a chosen generation that would change the world would reverberate in the hearts and minds of Jonathan, Becky, Katie and Jonas. Each one would take steps that would bring them closer to the place they had first encountered the Holy Spirit and the person who had facilitated that experience. But they would soon discover a different side to the prophet and preacher they had put on a pedestal. Next time on Soul Survivors. When you start to work in close proximity with these people, you start to see what they're really like. And that, that I had a bit of anxiety about whether that would be disappointing. And Mike is not the same as he is on stage at all. He's a very, very different person. There was definitely the eyes of Mike upon the proceedings, uh, and I was acutely aware of that. 
I struggled for years not to blame myself for putting him on a pedestal because it was like, well, surely I've, I know I, his opinion matters more to me than it should because God's opinion should matter, not mine. Can't get him off this pedestal. Why do I, why do I care so much about what Mike thinks of me? Soul Survivors was brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine. The reporting was done by Kelly Valencia and me, Megan Cornwell. We wrote and produced it together with sound design by Bradley Howard. Additional research by Anna Clark. The theme song is Toxic by Chris Llewellyn, featuring Propaganda. Which of these topics has not been covered on PremierChristianity.com? UFOs, near-death experiences, Doctor Who, Christ's Return, the faith of celebrities, and Andrew Tate. Trick question. We don't shy away from any topic. We cover faith as it affects us in daily life and give you the bigger picture. PremierChristianity.com. Special podcast subscription offer at PremierChristianity.com slash podcast.